So what's going on everybody? This is Landon here at the First Kick Podcast. And this week we have an awesome guest with us. He is on Instagram at Roberts USA Made. His name is Matt Roberts and he is an awesome machinist and has an awesome story to tell. So what's going on, Matt? Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good, man. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Uh, hey, my pleasure. All right, so uh, let's uh, figure out, first off, what got you into machining? Uh, well, my dad was a machinist, so he, uh, I was kind of watching him just be able to make whatever he wanted to. Um, I, I always thought that was cool, how you could just, if he needed something, a small part or something, you know, he could just go out and go out and make it himself. So at an early age, I thought that was cool, how creative he was and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, he kind of pushed me into that, and then I, uh, you know, we had some machinery at the house. He kind of showed me the ropes on that at an early age, taught me how to run a milling machine and a TIG welder and stuff. Um, and then I ended up just kind of falling into the high school. We had a really good high school program. So, so like you were saying, like you had a really awesome high school program. You know, that's something that you don't really hear a lot anymore. You know, like how people just don't have, you know, that high school shop class anymore. You know, like you see, like they're taking it out everywhere. So like the fact that you actually had a really awesome program to immerse yourself in to get yourself better at machining, that's really cool. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. Um, and we had a, I had a really, really good instructor that was a, you know, like a third generation machinist. And, uh, you know, it was a four-hour block, and he treated it like a job. You know, if you were late to his class three times, you were you were fired, you know, kicked out of it. And he basically just said, you know, you, you put in the effort here and learn this trade, and I'll guarantee a, a job locally or, um, you know, a, week, a few hours away from where I, where I grew up. There was a, a big naval shipyard that, you know, he had a lot of connections with and stuff. So, yeah, it was pretty cool and uh, pretty fortunate, I guess, because it was definitely a – Definitely a really, really good program with a lot of technology. At that time, we had one brand new CNC OS machine that we were learning on. And basically, every machine you could you could dream of was in that shop. So, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. So, like, how long have you been doing this, like, professionally? Like, is that your day job, or what do you do for work? So, as a, a by trade now, I'm a marine engineer. I'm a licensed marine engineer. Kind of fell into that. Um, I had a few buddies that got into that industry, and it really—I was really attracted to the time off that they, you know, I had, I had a buddy who went up on that big fishing boat, and he was working, you know, like 60 days on, you know, 75 days on or so, and then having, you know, two months, two months off. And so I, I always thought that was really cool because the 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 income was really good, and you could get off the boat and go travel wherever you wanted to. So I was I was trying to get into that industry, but it. The schooling required was, I don't know, pretty big, pretty big steps. So I was trying to set myself up for that, and then just kind of fortunately, that that buddy on that fishing trawler, he uh, he messaged me one day and said, "Hey, you think you could run all any of these machines?" And they had a bunch of old Japanese, it was a Japanese built 400 foot ship. Uh, they had a bunch of machines on there, and I guess they had a, their onboard machinist quit. So I was like, "Yeah, you know, could you run all these?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." So. Uh, I went and that was my first job on a on the water, and then I was just the onboard 
was my first little step into the industry, and then I kind of just evolved into taking more tests and exam and getting more licensing, and now moving my way up. And now, now I work for a different uh, a different company. I work in the oil industry, so we move petroleum, move about like three million gallons of solar jet fuel or whatever, but move around a big big uh, boat that's attached to a barge uh, in Alaska. But so I do a lot less machining. Now, uh, at work, obviously, we boats are a little bit smaller, and we have a, it's a nice shop on board um, in the engine room. You know, you got, a, you got a welder and a small workbench and stuff, but not not quite like what I used to do. But, so now all my machining is just, uh, like I said, I work, I work six months a year. I work 30 days on, 30 days off now. So I go up in Alaska and work, and I come home to my, my side job here, the, the machine shop. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. But let's finish up here with this. It just blows my mind that you're an engineer on a boat and, like, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. And it's like you said, like, you can't just turn around. you got to make the stuff. So, like, <clears throat> is there a difference machining and, like, fabricating at sea compared to in your own workshop? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a, definitely a, a weird thing to get used to. Uh, having everything move... Uh, in itself is, you know, takes time to get used to when you're just doing normal everyday things. Um, the whole boat's, you know, rolling around. Um, but then, yeah, when you, when you start trying to actually do precise things and work, um, it could be challenging for sure. Uh, you know, just having to get, basically just take a wide, wide stance with your feet and hang on sometimes. But, uh, no, there are, there are some things you have to just be cautious of, like, um, you know, for example, a time when I was pretty new onto the boats, I was machining something on a, a big lathe, and the leg was, um, yeah, parallel, I guess. The, the way the work material is parallel with the ship, so when we would roll, the whole lathe would roll over on its side, and I was cutting the shaft, and it was a pretty precise fit that I had to get to press into this bearing, and something I, I made a part and then went for my final pass and went to go measure and everything should have been right where I expected it and then the part was off and I couldn't figure it out and then uh, I was talking to my my boss on there and kind of you know is it could be the momentum of the boat rolling I didn't even really put two and two together but yeah the just the the weight of the boat and the weight of the machine as it rolled over you know just the deflection in the tool and the workpiece was something that it was enough to Yeah, that's crazy. Other that. that, it's the same old thing. Just you're just doing exactly like you do it on land. You just your your whole world rolling back and forth. Yeah, that's nuts. Because it's like you said, you know, from that boat rocking back and forth, you know, compared to being on a you know concrete floor with machines bolted, you know, like now you're out there and yeah, that's crazy. That would throw it off like that, but that does make sense, you know, from it, you know moving back and forth that you know maybe your tolerances weren't exactly correct or whatever it is and that's awesome that's crazy really <laughs> that's got to make the job a lot harder uh so what got you like like into making motorcycle parts you know like we i see on your instagram you make a lot of cool like pegs and other stuff and basically whatever you want really with the setup that you have now i mean what what got you into wanting to make motorcycle parts in the first place uh, in the beginning, it was just out of necessity, I guess. Um, 
I got into bikes pretty early. Grew up racing motocross, and my dad was always a Harley guy and a chopper guy. Um, so he got me into bikes at an early age, and then said he was always making stuff of his bikes and, and machining parts and stuff. So um, I would just, you know, as I got more and more equipment, I would just try to make cooler stuff, you know, for personal use. And then obviously you, you have more and more tools and you get better and better setups and then you, you start to have people, you know, more frequently ask you to make stuff for them. And for me, it's I don't mind doing that. I, I enjoy the challenge of making something new and then also I really enjoy seeing my something that I, you know, kind of dreamed up and, and, and made with my hands uh, on, the, on cool bikes. So I just kind of start doing that and, and then uh, I'd have, you know, more people asking for stuff and eventually I kind of thought, you know, it'd be cool to just try to get a little parts line going and that's kind of where I'm at now. So. That's cool. And, you know, it's, it's probably difficult, you know, because it's like you have to have your own style or you have to, like, you don't have to worry about patents or anything on any of your stuff, do you? Or, like, infringing? Have you ever had an issue with that? Or is it basically you just have your own style and you make what you want and that's it, you know? Because it, it seems like you know, with a parts line, you know, people are like, oh, he ripped off my stuff or, you know, vice versa. But I mean, from everything that I've seen on your Instagram, man, it's really cool. Like how you have like the different finishes from the different materials that you use. It's really cool. And what's like the craziest thing anybody ever asked you to make for them? Uh, I don't know. I, I turn down more than I do just because if I can't do it, I don't like to half-ass stuff, so if it's something I don't feel comfortable doing or I know it's going to not come out the way they want to. A lot of a lot of stuff that's manual machine, it has to have a different a different look. Um, a lot of people maybe not quite be aware of the difference, you know, when they, they think a, scene, uh, a machine part, you know, they don't realize it's a CNC part, but you, you can basically create any kind of geometry that you want um, on old manual machines, you're really, you're, you're restricted to what you can do. Um, there's a lot of different, so, uh, I don't know. I don't really think anyone's asked me to make anything too crazy. I don't know if, I know if, you know, if there, if it's something, uh, that has to do with, you know, drive train or, you know, axles or something that's carrying a load or potentially has, you know, if it could fail, it could be, you know, catastrophic. I, I just make sure that I take those things very serious and I've, um, just produce something that's, you know, try to try to produce something that's going to be bulletproof, make sure I use the right, you know, right material and uh, everything's really within, within spec, which sometimes can be frustrating on these old machines trying to get, you know, these really precise tolerances. But, yeah, nothing really too crazy, you know. A lot of people just want little things made here and there. And then, like with the parts line that I'm making, just making simple, simple stuff that can get bolted onto any bike bike right now that's kind of where I'm at but uh, yeah you know I'll make I like to be challenged so obviously I'll someone's got some crazy idea I like to hear it kind of like wanting uh, two velocity stacks for an excess chopper <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah something like that uh, that's one of those things I need to get I almost just need to get the, the those carbs in my shop like that'll be that's a good example of someone will ask me if you asked me to make those things and I just it's not a big deal but it's such a, a, a tight fit with some of those things that I you know 
I hate to I hate to make it ship it all the way over to you and then you know it's like oh man it's just a couple thousand which doesn't sound like a lot but on a precise fit like that it's you know you can wiggle it with your fingers and it's no good for me so well you'll have to let but, me know what you want me to do I can send stuff out to you that's not a big deal I just like to have something you made on my bike, man. You do a lot of really cool stuff with machining, and that's what kind of made me think about that in the first place. It was like, man, that'd be so cool to have something made by him. But we'll we'll figure it out. We'll work it out. Yeah, absolutely. So, like with your parts line, like what do you want to eventually see out of your parts line? You know, like is it something that you think that you would want to do eventually full time down the line? Is it something like that, or do you just look at it as like a hobby that? you know, you're going to do when you can, when you're home. Um, yeah, no, that's, that was the idea. Um, just eventually, and maybe not do it full time. It's right now I'm having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. So sometimes when you start to really run a small business, it's, I got a lot of friends that do it and it's definitely a, it's a hustle, you know, and it can, it can very easily turn into a lot less fun, a lot more work. Right. Um, so for me, like the enjoyment, I said, like I said, just having my parts on on bikes is is really cool. Um, yeah, just trying to figure out ideas that are, haven't been done before. That's the hardest part. You're talking about like copying other parts. It's with Instagram and all this social media. It's 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 kind of nice though because you can you can get a really good idea of what's being made and what's not. But you know, it's still inevitable that you make you and somebody else have the same idea. Um, you know, and you just haven't crossed paths yet. Uh-huh. Uh, you do see a lot of that, and people definitely take that stuff serious, you know. Um, but I don't really worry too much about it. I just, anything that I make, I try to just, I do it like I, something I've never seen before. And uh, so um, I'd like to just continue to do that. I've, I've been upgrading some equipment. I got a, an older, really nice CNC machine that I just, just got hooked up in my shop, and that'll be definitely helpful for making some of the parts. I, I, I noticed really quick when I started making my little parts line here that, you know, I'd make stuff for personal use and friends and a lot of one-off things. I'm not really worried about time and, and cost isn't as big of a deal. Um, then when you start looking at the actual numbers, you know, and adding up all your material and really crunching, you know, how much time it takes to do each individual operation and things like that, it, you notice really, really quick that uh, the the margins are pretty, you know, when I'm, so for example, like making foot pegs and making shift pegs and making these things that, you know, I'll hop online and look at the, the online sellers and I'll find very similar parts that uh, are for pretty affordable prices because they're making them, you know, a couple thousand at a time on a CNC machine. So for me to manually do that and, and try to keep it within the same uh, margins there, it's, it's really hard. So I can either, you know, came to a point where I can just keep making cool stuff and then try to try to charge a little bit more because it's it is uh, handmade on an old manual machines or I can kind of I could have went full CNC and sit back but for me CNC is hard because it, it just kind of takes a little bit of the art out of it um, you know, drawing something up on a computer and then having the machine do it is definitely much easier in my opinion than, than sitting here and doing some of these these crazy geometries and, and cutting radius, you know, putting my rotary table and doing a trigonometry to cut these radiuses that I, I try to make in a, most all my parts. Right. Um, on a manual machine, you know, it just takes a long time, but. Um, a lot of you know, numbers. So with my upgraded machinery now, I figure my approach is going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mass produce anything that I 
I can't manual machine, so uh, still everything gets created in my head and done done once on a manual machine, and then hopefully this CNC will help with some of the small repetitive things that just take a long time, you know, like making foot pegs that I make are really cool, but then uh, you know, just making the, the little clevises and the, the mount, you know, little mounting clevises for, for them that just seem like a simple little part, those actually take, you know, just as long. So, so, yeah, I'm just gonna keep, keep so doing what I'm doing and see see where it goes for now. Right, it right. Becomes a, a really really fun hobby and stays that way. I'm totally fine with that. If it turns into something more, that'd be that'd be cool too. Yeah, that and you know, like you said too, like with all the math and the you know the trig and all this stuff. Like, I mean, you can't be a dummy really to be a machinist. I mean, you got to really be good with numbers and and understanding you know the materials that you're working with. You know, like. I'm sure your math game is pretty on point for being able to do this with all these old machines. Um, to an extent, there's it's if you read something enough times, you'll eventually understand it. Right. Uh, so a lot of the stuff I just read is beat into my head. Um, but yeah, no, it, it definitely it's a it's a total different ball game than right now. I'm in a whole different learning deal where I'm learning the CMC stuff, which I've done some in school. But you design it onto a CAD program, um, and then you have to convert it to CAM, which tells the software, you know, what kind of machine you're working with, and what kind of tool pass it's going to take, and then the machine does it. But I just kind of, I keep laughing as I'm doing this. You know, I'll be do a little feature and design it in a part, and um, yeah, just different arcs and radiuses and things that you you just click with your mouse, and the machine just it'll just do it without thinking about it. And I kind of laugh like, man, that setup would have took you know that would have taken me an hour to, <laughs> to set that up and do that. And just you know, this will take one minute. On these new machines, so. Yeah, technology is amazing, isn't it? It, it really is. And I'm not gonna fight. You know, like I said, if you wanna if you wanna be profitable and you wanna make make some of these parts at the and be competitive, you, you kind of gotta fight the bull a little bit, but. I'm not going to totally sell out. I'm going to, like I said, I can. Just, I think that'll be my deal. Is I'll just, I won't make things that I can't manual machine. So. Right. It'll be a good combination of both. I'm hoping. Well, what's your what's your favorite material to work with, or do you have a few that you work with uh, pretty frequently, or what what are you using? Yeah, most of the stuff I've been making lately is just just out of good quality sixty sixty one, just uh, like aircraft grade aluminum. That's pretty good. Pretty much the standard aluminum. Um, I'd have to say that's definitely it's easy. You can just run run the machines as fast as they can go, basically, and uh, it's it's clean. You know, it, it makes a giant mess all over the ground, throwing aluminum shavings everywhere. But it just it's a quick quick cleanup of the room. Uh, versus when you're doing some of the other stuff that I do. And fortunately, I have some pretty heavy duty equipment. You know, so like the clevises and shafts that I make for my kickers and, and, and axles and, and components like that I make out of a you know, pretty hard 4140 steel. Uh, so those kind of things, you have to run a lot slower and run coolant and uh, it, that makes a much bigger mess. Um, so aluminum's fun, cuts really fast and looks looks really good. You can polish it up real quick or my kind of go-to thing is I have a really nice glass bead cabinet, a sandblasting cabinet with glass bead in it, and I really like that that really flat look that I put on the parts of that. It looks like a cast piece, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, it probably makes it look more cast than machined. Yeah. 
That's awesome, man. So like that that uh, cutting lube, you know, or that coolant, uh, is that like a certain thing or is it like water or do you have to buy the stuff? Like do you go through a lot of that depending on what uh, you're doing? Uh, well, there's different – there's cutting oils that you can use just out of the can and we'll just rip on and cut. That'll help. But there's, a, there's lubrication, which is what a cutting, um, a cutting oil would be. Um, the coolant itself is – So like whenever you're on like your lathe and I see this all the time and I, it, that it's like witchcraft to me, man. Like I, I kind of grasped the concept. Like we had a lathe at school and like I did like, you know, like stepping down a piece of, you know, rod, but I never did anything crazy. And like the knurling and stuff like that, like, is there a lot of different, uh, like cutting, uh, what are they called? Blades, I guess, like for the machine, like, is there a lot of different, like, cutting blades like to like machine your parts out is there a lot of different styles or is it basically like one thing and then you just go from there and like you know you can make it do whatever you want uh you mean for neurals or just in general just in well neurals in general like is there a lot of different ones that you can get yeah so, so knurling is pretty actually tricky concept it seems pretty easy but there's a right and wrong way to do it knurling is a, it's a form cutting so you know you're uh, you're cutting into it, and it's actually just it's pushing the metal down. So that, like if you do a knurl, and then you so if you have a one-inch piece of material, and you run a knurling tool over it, it forms the material down and then up. So then if you actually measure that, if it's perfectly one inch, and you measure that, you put a knurl on it, it would drain two or three thousandths. Um, so knurling, it's kind of tricky. It's there's different forms that do that. The, there's a new process now called cut knurling. It's actually a cutting tool. Expensive. I haven't done that, but other than that, yeah, there's a million. Every every geometry and every kind of cutting tool you can imagine is out there. You know, they have every shape and size. And, um, but I have a lot of high speed steel bits that I would all use. I have a lot of carbides. So carbides are a really hard alloy that you can you know you use that with stainless. I use it with aluminum too. But those are the little. I don't know if you've seen like you put the holder in and those are the little inserts you'll. Inserts. Right, right. Those work really well. Yeah, those work really well because you can just, they're interchangeable. If you break one, you can replace it and it's, it's always sharp. But the old fashioned way, you know, you had to learn in school is you just take a piece of high speed steel tool bit and you grind your own cutter. So if you huh. know how to do that, that's cool because you can cut or you can grind down any, any form you want to. You know, if you're going to do a grooving operation or turning or facing or you know, you need to even put a radius into something. You can grind the actual high-speed steel tool bit into whatever radius you want. That's the old-fashioned way. And then you never have to buy it. You buy one stick of it, and it lasts you quite a while. You just go over to the grinder and resharpen it every every time it builds out. And... So it's it's, it's kind of like a tungsten for a TIG welder. You know, like you can yep. basically manipulate it to whatever. Yep. That's it. Exactly. <clears throat> That's cool that you can like reuse them like that, you know, because like I know we have a machine at work too and I'm not 
ever using it, but like I see it in there and I see them like switching out, you know, the bits or whatever, you know, for different things. And it's like, we had an old guy and he literally retired when he was like 96 or something like that. He was there like part time in the end, but, uh, Robert Wagner and he actually, his family was huge into machining and they were up at the West end of our County and they had their own shop and they actually had patents on like, uh, chicken feeders and stuff like that like like hopper bins and stuff that would like feed the chickens like every so often or like help push the feed down and they had all these different patents and they had their shop for years and years and then he ended up uh they ended up closing up their shop and then he came to my job and like he would make like handles for the knives for like the girls over at the peelers cutting out bad spots and the potatoes and stuff and it was just awesome to watch him work because he was one of them old guys with that old school mentality and just <clears throat> you didn't, you didn't even he didn't even need to think about it you know like he just went over the machine flipped it on you know changed this around did that and it came out perfect like every time so i'm sure like over you know the years of you learning this i'm sure you learned a lot of tricks and trades you know to make your you know, whatever you're working on look better. So I, it's, it's really cool, man. To me, I think machining is really awesome. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely a lost, a lost art. I would say some aspects of it, which is, which is cool because, um, you gotta, you gotta really want to learn some of this stuff. Um, there's a, a huge online community and YouTube is awesome. You know, I don't know how many old guys on YouTube I watch, you know, every, I got a handful I just cycle through every morning, I'll turn on something. You'd just be surprised how many old timers out there that, that, you know, little things that unless you're working in a shop every day with one of them, you know, it's just those little, little tricks that you would never even think of or never be uh, exposed to. So, yeah, old guys like you're talking about, those are, those are cool. I really, I like to sit back and, you know, you get a chance to work with someone like that, sometimes they're knowledge that they have if they're willing to pass it on to you some old guys are just yeah yeah well no he was he was pretty yeah he was pretty soft-spoken guy but he was really nice and uh he always said that this is the tool that makes all other tools like that was always his trademark thing he always said that a lathe is the tool that makes all other tools yeah yeah so uh you're making motorcycle parts and stuff, but uh, what motorcycles do you have? Do you ride? Do you have some bikes over there? Yeah, absolutely. I've been riding since I was a kid, and I said dirt bikes. And My dad was always a Harley guy, so I was drawn to that. And it's kind of cool, too, because I've always gone really fast as a kid on the dirt road. So I, the, the few times I've gotten to ride like Japanese or cross office and things, I mean, they're, they're a blast. Uh, but I know that you can't just get on one and, you know, and ride normal. So I've never really had the desire to own one of those. I kind of like the heavy old slow Harleys compared, right. to, compared to jet bikes. So, yeah, when I, uh, when I was 18 or well, my 18th birthday, my dad got me a hardtail frame. And that's, I still have that frame. We were working on building that. And then when he passed away, I got all of his stuff. So, um, yeah, just over the years of had bikes come and go. I usually don't keep keep them around that long. Uh, the ones that I bought, and like I just had a Dyna that I bought, and I couldn't I had it for a few months, and it was fun. I ripped around on that, but it really wasn't for me. But I have a I have a '89. It was a soft tail. It's uh, I hard tailed the frame, and I did all the work on that. That's 
and it's ongoing project is still sitting there. And then I got a 1990 FXR, and then a shovelhead, and then my newest addition is a 1960 Panhead. Ah. All original. And, and yeah, it's a cool bike. So. Man, I'm jealous got of that. A handful of different ones from different different years here, and. So like, com- all right. So like, your FXR compared to the Panhead, I'm sure you can see plenty of changes. You know that the company did even from the '60s till then. You know, like, I think the technology of a Harley, even though everybody said they're just old tractor motors, but like seeing how they progressed in like the styling and the uh, construction of their frames, and like going from like sweating the neck on to actually like welding it on, like. It's crazy to see like an old bike compared to a new bike and what the new technology was then to now. It's it's like night and day, but it's so cool to look at an old motorcycle and panheads, man. They're like my favorite of the Harley engines. I think they're like the the best looking motor they ever did. Yeah, no, I, for sure. I, panheads are definitely my favorite too. And then this one is cool. Kinda, this is a bike. I bought this as a kind of a collector's I guess to keep it exactly how it is all original my dad always wanted this exact model so that's kind of that's the reason I, I went with this one um, I would love to get a panhead project uh, I could never I could never touch this thing you know so it has to stay original but um, what color is it they're just so expensive but I got a cool shovel head project I'm working on that the rigid shovel with cool stuff on it that's the that's my most recent project that i'm working on is that uh kick only uh yep yep that's awesome it's uh 1974 so it originally had a starter but right that's why i was wondering if it was kick only or if it did have the electric start yeah i mean i still have the starter and everything for it i started to say because you can't the oil tank and stuff that i want to run You know, I think that's something too, like, especially with you with your skill set, like making your own like trees and stuff like that, man, you, the world's your oyster with, you know, your machining and stuff like you could do a lot of crazy stuff, but there again, that's knowing how to do it and having the money to do it. But I mean, really you can build whatever you want for any of your bikes. I mean, have you, do you think like even on like your old pan, do you think that like you can make certain parts instead of having to go and buy them like to like even though you want to keep it stock like is there any way that you can make your own parts instead of having to go and buy them or do you feel that it'd be cheaper just to go and buy something like to replace it uh i guess it would just have to depend on what it was but on, on a bike like this sometimes it's cool just to have you can find the original part that's cool um but yeah no if it's something that i can do obviously i've I would be, I would 
be willing to do it. It's just going to some things that I've I've learned over the years here, especially when you have as many projects as I have, is um, kind of not only outsource work, but uh, if it can if it if it's a simple thing that can just be bought, um, trying to do that instead of just I used to have a different outlook. I used to be like, I'm not going to go pay that or pay somebody else to do that. If right. I do it. Over the years, I've learned that. That's a, a cool way to look and try to do things, but then you just end up with a shop full of half-completed projects that are all in different stages, which is kind of what I have now. So right, yeah. Even like that shovelhead engine, like rebuilding the shovel is a pretty easy deal. Um, but I need to have this whole thing used to be gone through, and so this is the first time I've ever been like, you know what, maybe I should just take that thing to the local shop where there's a good, you know, we have a guy here that does some, some good work on older engines. Yeah, sometimes that's better. That is, is uh, kind of a new new thing I'm working on just because you'll end up with so many different projects. And so when it comes to stuff like the pan I don't know, I would probably just end up buying most of the things for that. But fortunately, it doesn't need anything. It's, it's fully complete, and the only thing I need for that is uh, it has STD, the really good aftermarket heads. A lot of guys would replace those just because they were better. So it has STD heads and it has a, a SNS oil pump. Nice. Other than that, so if you know anybody with ni- original 1960 heads, I'm looking for a set. We'll put the word out. Okay. We'll put the word out. Uh, another thing, like you're from Idaho, right? Yeah. I, well, originally from uh, uh, Northwest Washington State, but I live over in Idaho now. Okay. So like you work at sea. So, like, how is your traveling from where you live, like, to get to your job? Like, how long does it take for you to get to your job? Oh, it's not bad. It's a, I usually fly out of Seattle where the boat will actually be in Seattle pretty frequently. So, it's about a four and a half hour drive from my house to Seattle. Oh, that ain't bad then. Or I can just drive an hour and get on a plane uh, to local airport and fly where I'm going. But I only have, luckily, I only have to travel, you know, once a month or so. Yeah, that isn't horrible then. It's not like you're there and back, you know, all the time. That would get expensive real quick. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. But that's kind of part of the reason I live over here is because like, I can. That's, a, that's a cool one. another reason that I was drawn to that industry is it kind of allows me to live wherever I want to live. Right. So, Idaho's the new. I was down in Reno for a bit and... Now I'm over here, and it's a pretty cool area. There's a lot of cool bike stuff going on up here, and good community, and it's a lot of snow. Yeah, um, yeah. Summer, summers are really nice. We already started getting our, our snow up here. Oh, you guys got snow already? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. See, we, we were actually lucky. Yesterday, yesterday it was like 60-something here, but now the rest of the week it's, it's going to get cold now. Cold snap's coming, but... Like, how how's your uh, riding season out there? Like, how long of a riding season do you have? Uh, pretty much just anything besides the winter seems like it's pretty long. I've only been here, this will be my third winter here, but, you know, everyone says, oh, Idaho's got four seasons, so, I mean, I guess the, the spring and the fall, or, um, whatever those seasons, you know, whatever you consider those, a little, bit, a little bit colder, and there's a lot less rain, I've noticed, so, I mean, you can... You can ride, uh, as long as there's not snow on the ground, I, I can ride, but t-shirt weather, it's, uh, I'd say probably just the sun. 
Yeah. Is it pretty flat, or do you guys have a lot of mountains out there? Yeah, it's pretty. It's definitely flatter where I'm from. It's all mountains, so it's flatter. But well, there's a few. And there's some nice hills, and it's definitely not quite like probably what you're used to over there. It's all pretty flat, I think, right? No, uh, we got mountains everywhere. It's all hilly. We don't have a whole lot of flat, flat land, and if we do, it's cornfields or something. <laughs> we have a lot of. We're in the Appalachian Mountains, so like. Oh, gotcha. Okay. We have mountains on either side of us i actually live in one of the valleys like right beside the mountain and it's really pretty but man the weather it is unpredictable as all get out like it can be blue skies and two hours later it's hammering down raining or snowing you know it's it's just one of them things but i wish i could live somewhere a little bit warmer i'd like to have a little bit more riding time but well this is where i grew up and it's like with my job i'm basically stuck here so <laughs> Uh, another thing too, like people look at machining and they think of, you know, being able to make all their own parts and stuff. And like somebody that's listening to this at home, like if somebody wanted to get a lathe, like what would be your, you know, the education that you would want to pass on to them, like as being somebody that wanting to get into it, like what would be the way to like get a lathe or, um, you know, harbor freight or to buying an old one out of a barn somewhere like what would somebody need to be able to start machining at their house uh that's a good question kind of just depends uh, there's a couple of variables um you know they, the old american iron that you'll find um is usually big and heavy but that's kind of what you so i guess you really have to you gotta have the right kind of power source. Most of the old stuff is, is three phase. You can get some of it in single phase. Or you can buy a, like my shop is about the three phase, but it's all to a rotary phase converter. It takes regular single phase 220, creates three phase. But basically, you wanna get, if you have the room and you can power it, you wanna get the biggest, the biggest, heaviest machine that you can, in my opinion. That's um, machining is all, you know, is all about rigidity. That's where you, you know, you buy one of Harbor Freight or you buy a small, you know, hobby machine. Um, you're going to, those things are nice and new and are going to, you know, have a lot less maintenance and, and run trouble free, but uh, you're going to find that if you're trying to do anything other than aluminum or you these, you know, small diameter uh, steels, you know, stainless is probably really hard, but you just rigidity is what is is what you're looking for. That's what's going to you know you're going to outgrow something. But I guess it depends on what you want. If you just want to turn down little spacers and things, any anything is better than nothing. Um, they make you know older craftsmen makes nice machines that you can find that were uh, have pretty thick casting and stuff. But like most of the hobby stuff, the Grizzly and um, things like that, you'll you'll notice you'll look at them most the frames on them and stuff is all pretty thin sheet metal and uh so you know they'll, they'll spin fast and you can take really thin light cuts but if you start to take bigger deeper cuts you'll start you'll start to get some shattering and they'll just be things that you just really can't do on them um you know using a part off blade to to part off different things is, is almost impossible on some of those little mini machines so the older machines if you can find a good running older machine uh Mass is kind of your friend. I 
aspect, you know. So the bigger, the heavier, that's, the better off you are. Kind of, that's the way I look at it, you know. I know you can buy an older machine that's probably going to spin slower. But then, that's the thing, too, if you're trying to do, if you, it really just depends on the application, you know. If you're just doing really small stuff, little, you know, pegs or foot pegs or little spacers or things, you know, just like making fabricated part, you know. thing that you need, like, to make little, little, little bungs because you're fabricating frames and things and a small little lathe that might just be just fine for that. And if you, you know, if you get the bug, I guess what I'm getting at is you, people tend to outgrow things. You know, you think, oh, I'll just get this little one because I'm going to make these little parts. But then, you know, you feel like, oh, you start to, you know, if you go, I've seen it happen a handful of times, these people, they buy a lathe and all of a sudden they realize what the, what the machine can do and they start to notice the things. Oh, I can make this and I can make this. And now they want to make this, you know, they want to keep making more things and then they're, they're limited by the, you know, the size of the machine and the, the rigidity of it. So you can just go ahead and, that, that's what I would recommend. Buy the biggest, heaviest machine that you can afford and, and have room for. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to go this fast. All right, man. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. My water thing's freaking running. So uh, if anybody wants to check out Matt Roberts' stuff that he makes, head on over to Instagram at RobertsUSAMade and check out some of the awesome parts that he's making. And uh, if you need anything, hit him up. Hey, man, thanks a lot for being on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, no, not really. Just, uh, yeah, I got you know, said my Instagram. It seems to be the way that I try to put stuff out there. You know, I got a little uh, big cartel thing. I got some stuff on there. And, uh, yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you very much. And uh, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to talk to Matt for a couple more minutes, but we'll see you guys next week.